This is Echozoe Radio, episode 137 for September 2019 with Eric Dauma on the religion of Marxism. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 137 for September of 2019 with Eric Dalma. With a busy summer schedule leading to an August episode that was so late, it was almost a September episode, along with a very busy family schedule and some health issues I'm dealing with at the present. This episode is a replay from the Echo Zoe archives. Eric Dalma was on in April 2014 for episode 72 to discuss Marxism from a religious perspective. Shortly before being on the show, he'd begun teaching a midweek class at church called Worldview Wednesday and taught Marxism, America's Most Dangerous Religion, for his first class. The subject ties directly into the emergent church, which shares its philosophical roots with those developed by Karl Marx. This is a powerful look at a subject that affects each and every one of us, regardless of where you live or what your worldview is. Eric and I talked about Marxism from an American perspective. But Marxism is a worldview that dominates much of the world today. If you have friends or family members that profess a belief in Christ but tend to vote with the world, this is a discussion that can help shed much-needed light on a, the philosophy that drives many of the people in power all over the world today. Show notes for this episode are available. You'll find a basic outline of the discussion and links to additional resources, and you can find that at echozoe.com slash 137. Also, the Lessons in Logic video series that I've been posting for over a year has come to its conclusion, as all of the pre-recorded videos in the queue have been posted. Given that scheduling has made a new September podcast episode infeasible, I'm not only not sure when the next series is going to begin, but I don't yet have a firm topic in mind. If you have any suggestions for topics that I can cover in a series of short two to five minute videos, I'd love to hear your ideas. It doesn't have to be something I'm an expert in. Part of the enjoyment I get out of doing them is the learning that I engage in in order to produce the videos. So finally, before we begin, a reminder that you can get email alerts for new episodes. Because the most popular social media platforms are aggressively censoring political conservative and Christian accounts, they can't really be counted on to be around when we need them. So sign up at the website to receive an email alert when new episodes are posted. In the case of Twitter or Facebook, um, may hide our posts or ban our accounts. To sign up, you can go to the website, hover your mouse over the podcast link at the top, and then select the email alerts in the drop-down menu. That's the second option from the top. And uh, you'll get, and then fill out the form and I'll send you an email when we post a new episode. And with that, here's my discussion from 2014 with Eric. Welcome, Eric. Uh, it's great to have you back in the Equizoi Studios. To- great. I don't know if you thought about this, but the last time you were in was a year ago, April of 2013. Oh, when we, really? When we did our primer on logic. Wow. It's and been it, a year already. Yeah, it's been a year. And uh, it's looking back, it's kind of strange to think about because it took us 
from April to October before we went to from the primer to actually doing the logic okay, series. Sure. And uh, and now we're back to April again and yes, um, ready to talk about a different subject. Well, thanks for having me back, Andy. And I sure have enjoyed your program and the different guests that you've had on. And Thank uh, you. we love Echo Zoe and and love being a part of it. So yeah, it's been a, a huge blessing and uh, a lot of fun as the ministry and the podcast grows and getting to know other people and broadening out and amen uh, forming friendships with other ministries and stuff that's right but, uh, it's a blessing it is it's a huge blessing yeah so tonight um i say tonight because it's it's evening on uh, april 4th yeah uh, 2014 and tonight we're going to talk about uh, marxism but we're going to talk about it as uh the basis of it was a talk that you gave just last week yeah uh, at church uh, marxism America's most dangerous religion. That's right. So we're going to look at Marxism not as not necessarily as a political system, but as a religious system, and what's behind that. Why don't we just kick it off, um, and and maybe you could set the stage for why uh, we or why or how we could see Marxism as a religious system. Yeah, think of it this way: if right now we had a president who was a Jehovah Witness. And all of his decisions were governed by the Watchtower Society. You would say, "Wow, this this guy is running the White House and our political world, you know, via his religion." Well, right now we have that same thing going on through the religion of Marxism. So it's not a political ideology; it's a religious ideology, because this religious worldview comes from some false philosophers, uh, primarily Hegel, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I call it that now. I know it's provocative to say that it's America's most powerful false religion. That's what I entitled my message. But let me just begin by telling a little story. Back in the 1980s, uh, R.C. Sproul, most of your listeners will probably remember or know him, great theologian, he had shared a taxi cab with the late great apologist Francis Schaeffer. And he had asked Francis Schaeffer, while they were sharing this taxi cab ride, what he thought would be the greatest threat to the American church. And very quickly, without batting an eye, Francis Schaeffer said statism. And what he meant by that is, of course, that the state becomes God. And that's exactly what we have in Marxism. Marxism really is a utopian movement whereby using the government, you are going to bring about a perfected world order where you're going to have everyone have what they need. They're going to be employed exactly perfectly. There's going to be no want uh, etc. So that utopia then is brought about by human effort. The problem and the reason it's so dangerous is they use the government. The government ends up being their religion, the vehicle of the religion, and the government has the sword. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we should all be concerned with it. Yeah. And um, so we're going to talk about the emergent church a bit. Yeah. Because the emergent church has a lot of influence in at least the modern Marxist movement within the United States. That's right. But before we get too far into our discussion and we get to that, yeah. I want to point listeners back, um, quite a ways back actually, uh, episode 18, which was uh, about five years ago that uh, I interviewed Bob DeWay, our mutual friend and yes. fellow preacher at Gospel of Grace Fellowship with you. Bob came in and we talked about his book, uh, Undefining Christianity, uh, about the emergent church. And so it probably makes sense if, 
if listeners haven't heard episode 18 to maybe pause this and go back go echozoe.com slash 18 to get that interview and really uh, bob does a great job in the book and in the podcast talking about the emergent church and who they are and what they believe and what their philosophy is and yeah. um, we're going to be referring to a lot of the same things tonight because uh, the emergent church really sprang out from a lot of the same philosophers that uh, drove Karl Marx and, exactly. and Frederick Engels to begin that Marxist communist movement back in the mid-19th century. That's right. Exactly right. Uh, Bob DeWay, by the way, just for your listeners' benefit, he is the best on the emerging church in the world today. He does all primary source uh, re- research, and that's what you want. He um, is really the one who's gotten down to the brass tacks on what the emerging church teaches. And the commonality is the philosopher Hegel, and we'll, we'll be talking about that here mm-hmm. this evening. So, yep. Yeah. Well, why don't we jump into that? And Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to kind of be guiding this discussion, having sure. done the, the discussion at church. And Yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me begin just talking about Marx and how he came to understand Hegel and, and how he came to know Hegel. Uh, Karl Marx is a man who's born in 1818. He's born in Germany. And at age six, he considers himself a Lutheran. But very early in his adolescence, he becomes disenfranchised with Christianity. He ends up going to sit under, in his college years, under a man named Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. And he's a philosopher that teaches Karl Marx his basic doctrines. There's another man who's a friend who also is a Hegelian, and his name is Ludwig Feuerbach. So what the listener needs to realize is Karl Marx gets two ideas, one from Feuerbach, which is a rabid atheism and materialism, but the other comes from Hegel, and that's this idea of evolution. Um, It's called the dialectic. And simply stated, what and we're not talking about biological evolution here. We're talking about exactly a, more of a spiritual That's and exactly sociological right. evolution. You're exactly right. What what Hegel primarily teaches is he's a panentheist. Now, for your listener, remember panentheism is all things are in God, whereas pantheism is everything is God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Hegel's view of God is not theistic, where you have a transcendent God who is distinct from his creation. But instead, what you have is a God who has two poles. And so, on one hand, you have God. He's one pole. And the other pole is the world that is being drawn or sucked in, if you can imagine, into God. And so, God is absolute spirit. The world is material. And mankind is the go-between, part spirit and part material. And so God is using mankind in this form of spiritual evolution to draw all things into himself. And so what he taught was this idea that over time you're going to have this perfection, that everything's going to head and trend towards utopia because God will never judge the world. Why? Well, because why would he judge the world if he draws all things into himself? He'd be judging himself. So God isn't going to do that. He's not going to judge himself. So everything's going to be wonderful. You don't need a cross. You don't need be saved from the wrath of God to come. Well, lo and behold, Karl Marx sits under that. But Karl Marx is a materialist. He's a rabid atheist. And so what he does is he basically distorts what Hegel's teaching and he materializes it. And so what Karl Marx, if you could just broaden out to a macro level, what Marx really believes is that you're going to have a battle between the haves and the have-nots. And ultimately, he says, it's going to be a battle between capitalism, which is what he called a thesis, 
And the antithesis or the antithesis to that would be socialism. And they will battle, and what results from that would be a synthesis, one day utopia, which is communism. That's the broad view. But in the micro view, he says it's always a battle between the haves and the have-nots. So the role of government then is to take from the haves and give to the have-nots. Now here's why. If you don't take from the haves and give to the have-nots through history, the haves would be the ones who own uh, private enterprise businesses. They run the means of production. They're often called the bourgeoisie. The have-nots are the proletariat, as he called them. They're the workers. Well, if you don't back the have-nots, there's going to be no battle. The haves will just crush them. So the role of government then functions like God, who simply says, for the greater good to reach perfection, we have to take from the haves, give to the have-nots, so we can force the synthesis, and therefore we reach utopian perfection. So where did that idea come from, this idea of evolving and everything getting better? It really came from Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, as I was, as you are explaining that, my, my mind immediately went to uh, modern-day China, contemporary China, because you're talking about capitalism battling with socialism, and then out of that comes communism. And, and we look at China today and we think, you know, they've really... Our way of thinking says they've really relaxed in their communism. Sure. You know, the, the markets are coming in there and they seem to be booming and taking off when, well, what we see seems to fit better what you just explained and how um, it's it's not so much the communism they relaxed on, it's the socialism. That's right. And they're kind of allowing a little bit of capitalism in. That's right. To, to swirl around and come together in this, this communism. Right, which is actually somewhat more dangerous, in my opinion, uh-huh. because you still have the immorality of this totalitarian-type system, but now they have some money to actually give to their military. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in Korea, in the Korean War, we had uh, kill ratios that often were 40, 50 to 1. Don't plan on that in the next war, because their material is getting much better, and they have a lot more people. So, yeah, they're going to be a much more formidable foe, and they're just as immoral as they always were. So Yeah. yeah. So... The the emergent church has has kind of gone through a different path, and now they seem to be coming together again with Marxism in the last ten to fifteen years, really. Yeah. What is it that's drawing them together? Why is it these these liberal Christians that go under the banner of emergent are so uh, enamored by the this? You know, I'm so tempted to, to say political system, but you know, we're we're trying to not look at it politically, but yet. It's hard to do because you're right. It's so inseparable, but that's right. The, this Marxist religious system that's so intertwined with politics. That's right. Our, if we think about our politics, is really an extension of our morality, the values that we hold, and the things we hold dear. And so, yeah, in some sense, it's hard to differentiate them. What we see the the connection now. Let me just back up to the 20th century. You have Marxism become popular in the United States for several reasons. Uh, number one, it plays to the masses. Um, you can just simply say, look, not every person knows the Hegelian dialectic, but they all have covetousness in their heart. Uh-huh. In fact, according to Colossians 3.5, covetousness is particularly idolatry. Okay, And so it appeals to the masses because they can always look at the rich guy and blame them for their problems and want what they have. So... There's a lot of reasons why Marxism becomes popular in the 20th century, but what we have to understand is that there's many Americans who long to be spiritual, 
And yet here you have Marxism be this radical, atheistic, materialistic, you know, religion, as it were, and they want nothing to do with it because they consider themselves spiritual. Lo and behold, in the 1990s, you really, perhaps even before that, but you have in the 1990s a movement called the Emerging Church. And what it does is it really takes this idea of spiritual evolution. And if you can think about the Emerging Church, um, Bob writes this very succinctly in his book, but I always boil it down to three E's. The Emerging Church is driven by three E's. The epistemology of the Emerging Church, which is their understanding of knowledge. Mm -hmm. They've jettisoned the laws of logic. They've jettisoned foundationalism. And so now they have a system of knowledge called coherentism where you have a socially constructed reality, so it's relativistic, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can't know God, which is what they're rejecting, you don't have true knowledge of facts, well, the only way to know God is mystically, okay? Well, the other E that drives them, the second E, is their eschatology. They get this right from Hegel, who, again, influenced Marx. Their eschatology is that there's no judgment, but everything's heading towards perfection. And so, therefore, what you are to do is go out into the world and simply find what the world is doing and join in. They call that being missional. You and I would call it being progressive. (laughs) They're going to help the world progress, right? And so they're not proclaiming the cross. They're going to see some kid joining in or doing an art project. They'll join in and say, look, we're helping God create the world anew and drawing all things into himself. The third element is something called emergence theory. And this comes from their mystical uh, warrior, as it were, Ken Wilber, who believed that God was enfolded himself into the creation. And so what you and I ought to do is not pray cognitively, but instead engage in meditation where God will use that to unenfold himself from the universe or the cosmos, okay? Now, how that works out, obviously, is something beyond anybody's ability to reason, but that's what they teach. So don't shoot me the messenger. I'm just explaining what they're teaching. So those three big things enable this to happen. They enable a person who already holds to a, a Marxist worldview, a political view, to all of a sudden call themselves spiritual again. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they're not radical, materialistic, atheist. They feel spiritual. But lo and behold, when they go into the voting booth, wow, they have these candidates, left-wing candidates, that believe in, yes, we're going to make the world a better place by taking from the haves and give to the have-nots. That's a form of evolution materially, and they believe in a spiritual evolution. So you can see how they kind of go hand in glove. They fit really nicely together. A common connector is a man named Jürgen Moltmann. He's a theologian of the Emerging Church, and he taught what's called a theology of hope. So everything is trending towards good. You don't need the cross. You don't need the substitutionary atonement. Because God isn't going to judge himself. Well, Jürgen Moltmann's big friend who really gave him a lot of his ideas was a man named Ernest Bloch. Ernest Bloch was a card-carrying communist. And so Jürgen Moltmann, basically what he does is he takes Marxism and he spiritualizes it, or he Christianizes it, if you want to say it that way. And so that's how it comes mainstream then into the United States. So have your listener think about this. 1979, very bad president, Jimmy Carter. The American public has a robust enough evangelical movement in 1980. They say, we got to get rid of this joker. He's horrible. Fast forward to 2012. You have a horrible president, Barack Obama. You have 
him reelected largely because you have an evangelical movement that number one is dumbed down mm-hmm. by the seeker sensitive movement. But number two, you have a large percentage now. I mean, I'm not saying it's even overwhelming, you know, the majority, but a large percentage of evangelicals are considered part of the emerging church movement. And so to them, this Barack Obama is helping them bring about this utopia, which is part of their worldview now because of their false religion. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mention that because if you even back up prior to 2012 and go back to 2008, and there was really this uh, this mystique about this guy. That's I mean, right. They there were people almost lauding him as some kind of messiah. That's right. And I mean that's a that's a religious thing. This isn't a political thing here. That's right. In fact, on February fifth, I believe it was two thousand eight, Barack Obama himself said, "We are the ones we've been waiting for." Now, have your listener think about this for a moment. That's exactly what the people were saying at the Tower of Babel uh-huh. back in Genesis eleven four when they built the Tower and Babylon is what they were really working on. In fact, the term Babel for Tower of Babel is the term that's used for Babylon throughout the scriptures. And remember, their reason was they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, that's the same ideology that's really within the emerging church movement and within the left-wing party in America today. They are going to make a name for themselves. Yeah, Yeah, and I, I mentioned to you on uh, Sunday, you know, after our services, that um, I'm exploring this idea in my own studies of, of theology and the scripture, but I, I feel pretty strongly even getting into the study, that I think all false teaching in the world, everything, can be traced back eventually. It might go through several steps, but it can be traced back to the lie in the Garden of Genesis 3 where yep. the serpent said, you will be like God. Amen. I mean, you look at like every false teaching in some way or another wants to make the individual into God. That's right. And that's, that's very easily illustrated through say mormonism That's right. which says that you know god god was once a man yes. and that man can become god <laughs> yeah and now we have this emergent that says you know the scriptures say that god is going to bring about the utopia yes. and we cannot do it it he's he's the only one that can do it that's right but now we've got this movement that says no we can do it and we will do it you're exactly right when you look at the scriptures for instance after the tower of babel God mercifully disperses the nations, and so we have many governments. And one of the merciful things about that is if one government gets out of control, the other, the other governments will gang up upon the other one and make it submit, basically. Mm-hmm. We'll even see as early after the flood as Genesis 9-6, where God says, if a man sheds a man's blood, so by man shall his blood be shed. And so you have this institution of government is really designed to restrain evil, okay? Well, fast forward to the New Testament, Romans 13, 4. Paul argues very fiercely that the government official is a minister of God, and if you do evil, you should fear because he does not bear the sword in vain, meaning they can use it. So the biblical worldview is that men and women are created in the image of God. They are rational beings. And they must be protected as unique image bearers of God by the government. So the primary role of government then is to restrain evil. Mm -hmm. Well, ironically, in the Marxist movement, their religion, restraining evil is itself evil. Now, why would that be? Well, 
as you just mentioned, Andy, they believe they're going to build utopia, their God. So when we read like Isaiah 2.4, where it says that one day he, this is Christ, will come and the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You and I as believers in Christ know that, hey, that's what Messiah does. Mm-hmm. But without Christ and without God, when you become God, as the Marxists are doing, we'll make a name for ourselves, they're the ones who have to beat the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. So, and that's why the United Nations has that carved into the wall right exactly. outside their headquarters in New York City. That's exactly right. So you can imagine when a U.S. Marine goes and kills a terrorist to a true Marxist professor on, in academia, they are not living up to this idea of beating the swords into plowshares. In fact, they're wrecking this chance of utopia. Uh, same thing with police officers. So every time the Marxists come into control, you'll see a reduction in money going to restraining evil, i.e. the military, police force, etc., and they'll always increase spending for social programs, etc. And so I remember back in 2007, I said, well, after Obama's done with his term, I didn't know he'd be reelected, but I said, you'll have a huge debt and you'll have a very much a diminished military. And it's not because I'm some genius, it's because that's what Marxists do. Mm-hmm. And so we have to realize that this is a religion that believes it does bring the kingdom. It's a utopian movement where you and I are saying, no, the kingdom comes when the king comes, Jesus Christ. So if the listener will think about the Soviet Union believed they bring perfection, they were fighting the United States that had a public that believed Christ brings perfection. And that's what the Cold War was really about. It became hot at several times. But now we have these Marxist uh, ideologues really in America, in academia, in uh, the social networks, etc. And that's the false religion. It is a false religion that brings a false sense of salvation uh, that people can achieve on their own. Yep. Now I want to. Um, I don't want to get too far off track, but um, you and I have a very similar eschatological views. Yes. You know, we di- we differ on the timing of the rapture. But sure. Right. Otherwise, we're we're uh, pretty much spot on with each other. Yeah. Amen. I mean, if if you had to kind of make a prediction, do you see this changing? Knowing uh, that our eschatological view. Says that the world is going to be pushed in a direction where, where humanity is going to try to bring in what God promises, but do it on their own apart from Him, and and really in spite of Him. Yeah, you know, Andy, it's a great question. I think it's you know, again, I'm not a prophet um, nor a son of a prophet, right. as the saying goes, but I think it's clear from Scripture that this is the the trend towards uh, humanity is trending towards wanting to become like God, as you had mentioned, mm-hmm. and you look at the. Uh, the Bible, for instance, in Revelation 13, you see that the whole world will give their allegiance one day to a false government who is run by a false messiah. And so absolutely, a government ends up becoming God, mm-hmm. and uh, they end up reconstituting Babylon for all intents and purposes. And so, again, the listener, to really think about it just in a very succinct way, the battle in history is a battle of two cities. Uh, the new Jerusalem God is building by his grace. Mm-hmm. The world, that is man and his works, his false religions, is trying to build Babylon. And Marxism ties into that very nicely. I just have to throw in, because I, I did a show with, with uh, Ryan Habana just uh, back in September on yeah. the new Jerusalem, and, and then with Chris White um, since then talking about Mystery Babylon. That, right, hey, right. What's interesting is we've got the new Jerusalem, and then we've got... Babylon, 
which really is you know according to the discussions that we've had both with Ryan and Chris right is taking place in the old Jerusalem sure <laughs> right there's a good case can be made right absolutely right. It's, uh, yep. it's just fascinating yeah stuff, fascinating studies to get into that's right yeah you're exactly right so yeah that's that's what the battle's about and uh, at the end of the day I think you're right I think Marxism plays very nicely into the end time events let me just give you an example um, before you do I just want to clarify that I'm not I I'm not claiming that today right all of this has its focal point and is based out of jerusalem exactly that's where we're heading eventually it will be it, it will it will migrate there and it will um it will it will eventually have its focal point there but well, I, i'm just just opposing what you know what you were saying about babylon versus new jerusalem and how um you know our, our scriptural uh, investigation with chris white that's shows right. that um that the bible actually teaches that that's jerusalem you know when we were talking about mystery babylon that, uh, that's right. Uh, there's a better case for Jerusalem than any other city. That's right. So, yeah. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that modern, contemporary, uh, you know, April 2014 Jerusalem is is Babylon. No, I, I it, completely it, understand. Chris, yeah. Chris made that clear as well. But uh, that's right. And you know, um, one of the things I've never enjoyed, and I know you don't as well, is guessing who the Antichrist is. Right. Yeah. But um, one thing that's interesting to me in this whole discussion about Marxism is many times you've heard as of late that the future Antichrist will be a Muslim, etc. Well, there's an interesting passage in Daniel chapter 11, after verse 36, I believe, where it starts talking about this Antichrist. And one of the things that's talked about with him is that he doesn't uh, serve the gods of his fathers. Um, now, what's interesting about that, of course, if that Antichrist is going to be a Muslim, if you're a Muslim, you have to believe that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And if you deny that, you're not a Muslim. Mm-hmm. But the Antichrist is going to be one who doesn't serve the gods of his fathers. Well, again, let's go back to Obama's comment. Obama says, we're the ones we've been waiting for. Well, isn't that what they were saying in Genesis 11? Let's make a name for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea you had just mentioned, Andy, that we are God. That's the original lie in the garden. So what's interesting is the Antichrist seems to line up to me much more under the auspice of we are God. We'll create it ourselves. And that's exactly what you see humanity do, rebel against God and create their own utopia, as it were, but it ends up being a living hell here on earth. Yeah. Right. Um, one, one of the things, I'll just mention a few things about Marxism as it plays out in our world. And you know, we as Christians have a trinity that we believe in, we hold very dearly. Well, I'd mention that the Marxist movement is predicated on this idea of taking from the haves Mm-hmm. and giving to the have-nots. That's what their religion is based on, okay? Let's give some examples to that. For instance, let's take the Palestinian-Israeli debate today. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict, there is a clear moral victor or side, and there's a clear immoral side to the whole battle. In other words, if you're looking at the battle between Adolf Hitler and Winston Churchill, I don't think anybody would be confused as to which side was moral and just in their battle against the other. Well, the same thing is true in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Israel, since 1948, has given us wonderful inventions in the world. I'm not saying that that necessarily means anything, but um, they've given us wonderful scientific inventions. The Palestinian movement has basically given the world a better suicide vest. That's their contribution to humanity. But the left, the Marxist left, consistently backs the Palestinians. Now, why would they do that? Why would they back the Adolf Hitler of our day. Well, the reason why is because the Palestinians are viewed as the have-nots. 
So everything goes through that grid. So realize when you're dealing with a Marxist and their false religion, everything must go through the grid of the, being the haves versus the have-nots. So no longer now do you have a movement that's capable of thinking morally. They're just incapable. They, they see everything through that prism. Now, again, does the average Marxist who votes Marxism, do they understand the Hegelian dialectic and all these things? No. But the elite does. And they play to their base nature, their sinful nature, blame the Jews. The rich man is always to blame. It's these type of basic hatred and spiritual battles, as it were, that they play on. And they're able to make people think that way. So in the Marxist world religion, there's a trinity. And their trinity to give power to the have-nots is race, class, gender. They will break all of humanity into race, class, gender. So if you happen to be a woman, let's talk gender, you're automatically a have-not. And so you're automatically privileged in society by the Marxist movement, no matter what virtues you bring to a job, no matter what capabilities you bring to the, the task at hand, they will always give you preferential treatment. The same thing happens with race. There are certain races that are privileged, um, and also um, class, of course, is mm -hmm. the lower class. So they see everybody through that prism so they can divide the haves and the have-nots. Now, what you and I, having a biblical worldview, we see everything through people made in the image of God, right? right? Sinners that need to be um, saved by the love of Christ and his yeah. gospel. So you can see how we don't even see the world uh, at all the same. I mean, we have mm -hmm. to uh, understand that they don't view the world like us at all. Yeah. We have to be cognizant. I, I feel like I got to throw in a little anecdote about this Palestinian-Israeli thing. Yeah. I know you know where I'm going. But, yeah. Uh, just uh, less than two months ago, uh, I ended up joining Ryan Havana on his Israel tour. And uh, listeners might remember that when he came on and talked about the New Jerusalem last fall, he brought up this trip and he, you know, even on the podcast, he said, you know, Andy, you got to come. And and uh, I didn't think it was going to happen, but it, uh, the circumstances came into being, and, and I ended up uh, joining Ryan on the trip my wife and I went with and had a great time. And um, what was interesting was, you know, we spent two weeks over there, and I was just getting to this point in my mind, like within, when I say just, I mean like within minutes, I'm getting to this point in my mind where I'm thinking, oh, this whole conflict has really changed. You know, you're not hearing about the suicide bombs anymore. Um, you're not hearing about the the physical fighting. You still hear them um, bickering with each other and going to the, you know, right now they're going through this process with John Kerry and right. uh, kind of back and forth and whatnot. But I was just thinking, wow, you know, things are different now. And when I say just getting to that within minutes, <laughs> we are in our bus driving from uh, one site to another. We were near Jerusalem. And we're going to see Herodian, and Herodian is a kind of a it's a it's a big hill, small mountain. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a a palace on top, and Herod had built this thing, and eventually he was buried there, Herod the Great, and um, this was the Herod. There was two Herods prominently spoken about in the New Testament. The first Herod was the one that killed all the newborns, yes. and then there was the Herod that tried Christ. And uh, we're talking about the former one. Herod the Great was the one that had all the newborns killed. 
he was a paranoid man. Yeah, <laughs> was. <laughs> he had a lot of enemies. Right. And uh, so one of the things he did was he built uh, Herodian and was eventually buried there. We're going to see this site. We're coming around a corner on the road. And just minutes after I'm, this thought's going through my head. And all of a sudden I hear, bam! And we're all like, what just happened? And we look up and there's uh, the windshield of the bus we're on is intact, but completely smashed. Wow. Um, it turned out, you know, we're driving along the road and this uh, security fence that everybody's familiar with now was right on the side of the road that we were driving on. Yeah. And there must have been a hole in this fence because um, there were a good-sized rock. This rock had to have been about the size of a softball. Oh, and boy. I didn't see it. I didn't see the rock. I didn't see who threw it. But um, the, just by seeing the damage and knowing it had to be about the size of a softball. Wow. Hit the bus. And the holes in the fence, the natural holes in the fence, um, were smaller than that. So yeah. there must have been a spot where they were able to chuck through. And um, and actually, a couple people on the bus saw what happened. And mm. it was a teenager. You know, they thought he probably wasn't more than a teenager through it. But then there was a couple younger kids, probably eight, nine, ten years old. They were throwing smaller rocks, and we right. found some dents on the side of the bus. But um, that was reported. Uh, it, it has to be reported for insurance purposes. Insurance won't touch it right. unless it's reported to the police. So we had to take a detour and go to the Jerusalem uh, Police Department and wow. file a um, a claim or uh, a report sure. on what happened. And officially, it was documented as a terrorist event, a terrorist attack. So yeah. I, I can now say that I've I'm the survivor of a, an attempted terrorist attack. There in you Israel. go. Wow. But. You know, we were really shaken up by that. Yeah. Our tour guide was shaken up more than anybody else. I bet. Um, and he'd been through a few of those. Yeah. You occasionally see vehicles driving around in Israel that have, uh, like, steel grates over the windshields. Oh, Just wow. because they get tired of, of replacing them. Sure. <laughs> from the rocks. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I was just going through that. And having gone through that, I thought, you know, I, I'm just ready for somebody to come and tell me that, Israel, Israelis are evil and Palestinians right. are <laughs> oppressed. Because I'm going to tell them, you know, Israelis never tried to kill my bus driver while I was right. over there. Because <laughs> that's what really what they were going after. If that thing had gone through the that's windshield, right. Very dangerous, it would have yeah. taken out the bus driver, Yeah, which would have in turn taken out everyone on the bus. Yeah. Likely. Yeah, yeah and, that's right. you know, they, they never attacked us. And our, our driver, to his credit, was he really on the ball. He, he kept that bus going and yeah. stayed on the road and... Um, he was shaken up too, but he just, he did the right thing and kept going. And, right. And, um, our, our driver was, uh, a man, he wasn't an his, he was an Israeli. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Christian, okay. uh, Arab from okay. Nazareth. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, Andy, that's such a great point. And, you know, you, you hear oftentimes from the left the Marxist left in America that, well, Israel has built a wall and they'll compare that to the Berlin wall. But there's a huge difference between the Berlin Wall and the walls that the Israelis have constructed. The Israelis' walls are designed to keep people out. Right. The Berlin Wall was designed to control people and keep them in. Keep them in, yeah. That's right. And uh, so the Israelis are always trying to survive. And yep. um, it's, it's again, it's a very clear-cut case morally, but the left doesn't think that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then that, that the bus driver illustrates something as well, being an yeah. An Israeli Arab. He is an Israeli citizen. That's he has right. the same full rights that any Jewish Israeli has, but he's an Arab. 
Yes. And there are, he happens to be a Christian Arab. You know, now we might, don't take that with too much weight, you know. Yeah. A lot of people call themselves Christians. We're talking about the emergent church for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, um, you know, and I don't know what his faith is like. He he says, if, when people ask what religion is, he says he's a Christian. Yeah. But he has the full rights that an Israeli Jew would have. He he can vote. He can run for office. Uh, he can he can do anything that any Jew over there can do. That's right. And the the way things happened, the way his family got to that point, was that following the war in 1948, there were Arabs that were in the land, and they were basically given a choice. They said they were told, "You uh, can become Israeli citizens. You can be part of our country." part of our culture, part of our society. You'll have to be treated exactly the same as anyone else Wonderful. with one condition. You have to recognize us as the governing authorities, wow. the Israeli government. Yeah. You have to recognize the Israeli government and, and that we are a Jewish state. Yeah. As long as you'll do that, full rights, we're, we're not going to treat you any different. Yeah. And if you don't, then that's where we end up with a, a separate people that now they didn't they wouldn't have called themselves palestinian at the time right uh, they would have found that offensive actually palestinian right. um, palestine is is just a geographic term that's right and up until uh, prior to 1967 that was simply a uh, another way of saying a jew who lives in is you know in in israel sure um and those who said no way we're we're not we don't recognize you and we're not going to tolerate your government um, became what is now called Palestinians. Yeah, and think about this. Would a Jew who went to Saudi Arabia or any other nation like that have the same rights? I mean, a Jewish exactly. person would certainly not have the same rights in the uh, Gaza Strip, let's put it that way. So, mm. yeah, clearly uh, well said. It's a clear case. One side is moral and the other is not. But the Marxist movement, they don't see things morally. Right. And everything's from the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And they do the same thing, by the way, in America. Yeah. Islam is regarded as the have-not religion. So it doesn't matter if it murders more children or what have you, or if its claims are false. That doesn't matter to the left. The left sees things between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. And that's really hard to get our minds around because we look at like how they, how, how they look at Islam. Yeah. But yet... Yeah, Look at how Islam treats people that they would champion some of these classes. It, you know, it's you, you brought up race, class, gender, but there are other, yes, I, I guess class isn't just economical. There are that's right there are other ways of dividing people by class. And yeah, you know, take uh, you know, the homosexual community, uh, we as Christians uh, have issues with that, yeah. of course, but we kind of live and let live yes you know, if, as long as they know what what god thinks about you know what they're doing right that's as far as we go we, we don't take it any further but you yeah. know, islam if, if you were ahmadinejad yeah in iran was famous for saying there are no homosexuals <laughs> in iran yeah very ominous and the yeah. reason he said that is because if we find out there are sure they're know, killed they're gone that's right that's right yeah very good point and that, that brings up an excellent point, too, with the left in America. They don't argue merits morally. They don't really reason that way. What they do is they engage in name-calling. So they divide everybody race, class, gender, because they have to find the distinction between the haves and the have-nots. And then what they do is to disarm us as conservatives or Christians, they merely name-call. 
okay? We are those who are trying to hold on to power or necessarily evil. And so what they do is they, what I would call six herbas. Now, this is a saying that comes from Dennis Prager. Uh, for your listeners, many of you know that he's a, a syndicated a columnist and also a talk show host with Salem Network. And he's a Jew, and he spent a lot of time studying uh, Marxism at Columbia University. He speaks Russian. He knows it very well. And he says, look, the left simply six herbs us. And what that stands for, it's an acronym, sexist, intolerant, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, and bigoted. And so they don't have to deal with our arguments. Now, you and I did logic together, right. Andy, and it's I know... It's pure ad hominem. Ad hominem, exactly. That's all it is. It's all ad hominem. So what it really is is slandering human beings and saying you're a bad person, even though they can't prove that you and I hold to those things. In fact, we would not. Yeah. What's interesting is in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes it very clear that slanderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the very discourse that the Marxist left engages in is a form of sin. Ad hominem is attacking men and women made in the image of God and calling them names that they are not, slandering them. Mm-hmm. And so this is sin before bearing God. Bearing false witness. Exactly, bearing false witness, exactly. So what's interesting is even the way the Marxist left engages in dialogue is sinful in a biblical worldview, and yet they don't see it. They see it as a moral thing to do. Why? Because they're helping the have-nots. Yeah. Well, we were talking beforehand, and a lot of the tactics we see, and I see it as very, very common that whenever uh, one, of, one of these leftists points a finger at somebody who's not a leftist, at a, at a conservative, a Christian, whatnot, and says, that person is evil because that person does this or that, it, it's, it seems that more times than not, what's going on is a form of projection and this idea that, well, we do that. And so we do that, so we assume, assume you do that too. And because you do it and you're doing it for the exact opposite reason we're doing it, right. uh, you're, you're therefore evil. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's a great point, Andy, because what's interesting is you and I, as believers would affirm that whether you're black or white or somewhere in between, whatever your color is, you're made in the image of God. Well, they're the side who believes that because they're Marxists, they love Darwinian evolution because that gives them more credence to their views oftentimes. They're the ones who have to believe that certain people evolve further than others. There's no other way around it. And yet they're the ones who try to claim to be the champions of equality. Well, wait a minute. What's more conducive to teaching equality that is being treated equal under the eyes of the law? Is it those who believe that every person is made in the image of God or those who believe in forms of evolution where you can have some species and some groups and some people evolve further than others? Well, the rest of my case, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a... It's mind-boggling and... And I say that having gone through the logic class with you that, yeah, you know, we are logical thinkers. That's right. It's, it's really hard to even understand how to put such thoughts together. That's right. And one of the big, big ruses that the Marxist left will throw at Christians is that we're totalitarians or authoritarians, mm-hmm. they will say. But I want the listener to think about this. <clears throat> when it comes to public morality, um, 
we've basically, as an evangelical movement, said you can't murder your children, okay, or other people's children, right, in abortion. Mm -hmm. But what the left has done is they say, well, you can only have soft drinks that are a certain size. I would cite a man of the left in New York City who did that. Right. Um, you have circumcision at least attempted to be banned in certain cities in uh, California. Wood-burning stoves are out in California. You can only have certain types of light bulbs, um, certain types of cars, cafes. The left restricts just about anything they can get their hands on. Yeah. And yet you and I have basically said, look, we basically don't want you to murder people. <laughs> okay. Right. And yet you and I are the ones who are the totalitarians. Right, yeah. So it, it's it's very sad, obviously. So you're dealing with a people who think different. They don't think morally. They think in terms of haves versus have-nots. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to kind of ask about your thoughts on, on some of this have-nots. It really strikes me that so much of the policy decisions that come out of the left that where they implement this worldview from their religion through their takeover of government, yeah, um, it, it really logically is antithetical to their stated goals. That, that's right. And for example, I want to talk about, you know, you're talking about choice. Like we would say we would be pro-choice on soda. Right. We would be pro-choice <laughs> on light bulbs. We would pro be pro-choice on uh, wood-burning stoves. Exactly. And a big one for us is that, we would be pro-choice on where children go to school. Yes. And, I mean, we look at, like, inner-city government schools are always the worst performers. That's right. And we would say, you know, why don't we just take that money that is going to that government school and give it to the family and let them go wherever they want. Right. And then they could go to a better school and, and, and actually improve themselves in life. That's right. But it's these same people that are holding them down and saying, no, they have to go to that school. That's right. And they'll make up every excuse under the book, you know, that, well, you know, what about the kids that that remain at that school? Are they going to be kind of left behind? And, you know, I'm not going to get into that particular issue. But sure. my point being is that their policy decisions as implemented through the state yes. really are antithetical. And it, and it, I want to go back to your, your thesis antithesis synthesis. Yeah. Are they afraid that if the have-nots become the haves, exactly, that you're not going to have your dialectic anymore? I, I think the the true academics that is exactly it. As soon as people become free and lift themselves out of their morass, um, and I'm just thinking, you know, through economic gain, etc. Uh -huh. You're right; they lose their constituency, they lose their have-nots that they have to take from the haves and give to the whole system. But I think shot. it's deeper than that. I mean, just through putting this yeah. religious worldview in in view, it's it's a lot deeper than just we're not going to get their votes anymore. Sure, you're if exactly right. It, it's we're not going to have our thesis antithesis. We'll have the thesis, but the antithesis will go away. Exactly. They're no longer the savior then. Right. And and so we we can't get our synthesis. We can't get this dialectic process. Exactly. If we lose the antithesis because they become part of the thesis exactly right so now their dialectic doesn't work they're not the providers of utopia their whole system is shot exactly right and again that's what the academics the elite believe and understand the average person who votes for these candidates they don't understand the dialectic they don't think that no. deeply all they understand is that so and so joe across the street is richer than i am and he has something that I should have. And they play on a lot of those. Again, covetousness. Covetousness yeah. is the 
root of idolatry, according to Colossians right. 3, 5. So that's what they play on, those types of fears. Yeah. Yeah, yeah think about if your have-nots are so in the have group, getting back to your antithesis becoming part of the thesis group. Yep. If your have-nots are so well off that to deprive them is to take away their cable or a certain kind of cable, you really don't have a have-not group. Right. And that's what they're afraid. They have to always make a have-not group, even if there isn't one. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. You know, let's think about this, too, just even in our realm of economics. There's a lot of debate you'll hear in society about what type of tax policy we have. And it's always shocking to me as an American and as a Christian who understands something of the scriptures to say, how is it that America has this progressive income tax? Because we know that there's one government that was run by God, a theocracy, that was Israel. And by the way, I'm not saying this because I believe we should recreate the theocracy or the Mosaic law. Uh I'm not a theonomist or a reconstructionist, but I'm simply saying this. We know this from God, that when he instituted a tax policy, it was to have a flat tax. In fact, let me just read Deuteronomy 14.22. God says to every Israelite, you shall surely tithe all the produce from all that you sow, which comes out of the field every year. Now, the term tithe there in Hebrew is aser. Now, aser literally means a tenth. Mm-hmm. So every person was to give a tenth. No matter what you made, you gave a tenth. So now you have a flat tax. Now, take that to the discussion with Marxism. They don't think morally. There's no higher authority than themselves. And by the way, that's one of the major tenets that Marx taught. There's no higher authority than man himself. And so he was very relativistic. Yep. Well, they would teach that having a flat tax. It's back is, to that that lie issue. That exactly. Be like God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. So they would teach then that it's immoral to have a flat tax. They always argue for the progressive income tax. Income tax. So think about this: the one country that we know it was run by God Himself, according to the Scriptures, was Israel, and He had a flat tax. Mm-hmm. The Marxists are saying that's immoral. Why? Because it defeats the take from the haves, give to the have-nots. It defeats their whole system. So, again, they don't think morally. The Western civilization, for instance, when it comes to jurisprudence, lady justice is blindfolded. You're not supposed to look at the person's race, their class, their gender. You're simply to weigh the merits of the case in the court of law. Well, the left, and I would even use Tony Campolo. Here's a man who claims to be an evangelical. Well, he writes a book to young evangelicals, and then I have this quoted in my message that he gave last week. Somebody can find it on uh, Gospel of Grace Fellowship, and uh, we'll probably get it over to you at Echo Zoe, too. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. I'll put a link. Exactly. Well, they'll see the quote there, and what we have is a quote from Tony Campolo saying that the role of us as humans is always to back the poor, okay? Well, let me just read you what God says. Again, he was, oops, I'm sorry, I dropped a pen here in your (laughs) studio. But uh, God says this in uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 2 through 3, and I'll just cut to the chase here. He says, you shall not be partial to a poor man in his dispute. So think about the ramifications. Western civilization, which is really built on the Judeo-Christian ethos that comes from the scriptures, has a lady justice that's blindfolded, and she has scales in her hands. So the ideal then for the justice system is to have either jurors or a judge that will simply weigh the merits of the case irregardless of someone's economic background. Well, that's not the way it is in the Marxist system. They see everything through 
haves and have-nots, and so they want you to always to support the have-nots. Now, that's why Elena Kagan and Sotomayor were very powerful choices to the left to bring onto the U.S. Supreme Court because they see their role is always backing those who are of the have-not class, as it were. So, so yeah. not blindfolded at all. Exactly. So everywhere you see the left in their religion affects our world, okay? So you and I uh, have many ideas. Like, for instance, we believe that unless uh, someone trusts upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not going to enter the kingdom of God. But we freely proclaim that, and people can freely believe it or not. Of course, we believe that they have to be regenerated by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But notice we're not taking anybody's... Um, we're not giving a judicial nominee forward to enhance the kingdom of God in that way. But the left's religion is government. And that's why I think everybody should realize this is a particular religion to fear because of where it leads and the damage it can do. Yeah. I have a point I want to close with, but before I go to my point that I want to close with, is there more from your studies that you want to bring out? You know, we're coming up on kind of late in the podcast yeah and and i don't want to miss anything but well you know i would just i i left people with this we have to remember that the great commission is to proclaim the gospel we're not going to win this fight politically this is a religious battle Mm -hmm. and marxist people who vote and i'm i'll just be frank primarily for the democratic party although you'll have some republicans etc that think this way these are people who need to be reached with the gospel and they need to be helped to understand where their bad ideas come from and to know that utopia does not come from their action or the action of government, but there's a Christ who's coming to bring a glorious kingdom. And we have to preach these things and remember that part of the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ will one day bring a kingdom that will know no end. And uh, that needs to be proclaimed loud and clear. And uh, my prayer is that people would be equipped to show what the Marxists believe as far as the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and show that that doesn't work out in history. That's exactly the point I was going to make, actually. <laughs> Maybe a slightly different angle, but exactly the point I was going to make. You know, I've gotten involved in the political process, um, less so this year, but the last few uh, cycles, uh, 2008, 10, and 12, uh, going through that, you know, in Minnesota, we have a caucus system. A lot of states do primaries where um, when you're going to pick delegates to a national political party convention um, you actually go to a primary and you'll vote for the candidate and then the party will pick uh, delegates that are going to vote for that candidate Uh, minnesota does it a little differently we've got a caucus system and the way it works here is that we have um, a local meeting and it's usually just um, at most i think the the most people i've ever seen was probably uh, 2008 um, and we probably had 30, 40 people in one unit yeah. that get together and we'll talk a little bit about what our political values are. And, uh, and then we will elect um, amongst ourselves people to go to what we call a BPOU, which is a politi- basic political operating unit. Yeah. And from there, um, we'll do the same thing and then um, elect people higher up until eventually you get to um, kind of parallel tracks between a state convention and a uh, federal congressional district convention here in, in Minnesota. So we've got eight congressional districts okay. and a state, and we'll have different conventions. And then those people will elect delegates to go on to the national convention. So I went through this process a few times, and um, they it's a lot of pep rallies. It's a lot of rah-rah, you know, go 
go Republican, uh, you know, and let's, uh, you know, they'll, they'll play to our Christian values. Let's, you know, pro-life candidates, uh, let's, let's get the taxes down and, you know, let's sure. kind of help people by allowing them to help themselves and right. whatnot. And th- especially at the lower levels at BPOU, they really want to hammer that well, we need people to go out and bang on doors and tell people about uh, our candidates and what we believe because, you know, we're not as understood as we used to be. Mm. And so the point I'm, I'm working my way towards is that, uh, you know, I've said flat out, if I'm going to go door knocking, I'm not going to go door knocking for X, Y political candidate. I'm going to tell them about Christ Amen. and the gospel. That's right. And I think naturally out of that, they're going to develop that political view that's going to tend, you know, I, I, I have a lot of problems with the Republican Party, but yeah, I know. I but know you, mean. you know, yeah. it's going to tend in that direction That's at right. least. Yep. And you know, I think honestly, I think uh, people like you know Ray Comfort and um, my friend in ministry Tony Miano, these guys have made more Republicans yes. than anybody at these conventions. Well, by said. going out and making converts to Christ, to proclaiming the gospel. That's right. And it's exactly what you've been talking about this evening. That it's a worldview issue. Exactly. If you want to change the politics, you've got to change the worldview. Amen. And the only way we're going to do that is by spreading the gospel. Amen. It all comes back to the gospel. Andy, that's perfect. What a way to end. Amen. Well said. Well, thank you. God bless you. It's wonderful to be with you, and uh, I look forward to many years of doing this together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, um, I, I want to thank you for coming in, for doing this. Yes. Um, I will uh, link on the show notes. This is episode 72. It's okay. The last episode of the sixth year of Echo Zoe. Uh, next month will be our anniversary month. Wow. Uh, I, so go to echozoe.com slash 72, which is why I brought up 72, uh, for show notes. And at the bottom, usually I'll put additional resources. And in that, I'll have the talk that you did yeah. uh, last week at Gospel of Grace Fellowship. Um You've just started this uh, Worldview Wednesday. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, it is a tongue twister, right? Uh, that we're that you're going to do from time to time. It's not every week. It's just that's correct. We'll we'll try to do it as often as we can. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we don't have access to our room, but yeah, sure. And we meet at a high school, so that's right. Um, so I'm going to link to that, and then any materials you want to add, I'll put links to it as well. And, but I I thank you for coming in. I always love doing stuff. You know, you and I are are good friends. That's not, right. Not just um go to church together but good friends it's yeah. always fun to talk and hey god bless you andy too in your ministry i'm just so yeah. grateful for echo zoe and all the wonderful thought-provoking uh, well, people that you've had on and the programs uh, just very very well done and i'm very grateful to all you do so well thank you well we'll, we'll do it again that sounds great <laughs> amen Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of echo zoe ministries if you are blessed by the show please consider offering your support There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com slash support. That wraps up episode 137. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 137.
Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect to Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing or retweeting the announcements for your favorite episodes. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with a new show for the October episode of Echo Zoe Radio. <laughs>